Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey Ryan, how are you today? I'm good, Pam. How are you? I'm good. Hey, do you remember that one time of many times I came to you and I said, hey, Ryan, let's do this class? Yes, that happens regularly. You kind of gave me the roll, the eyes, and you said, I'm not so sure. Remember the class on, I said, let's do laughter. Boy, do I. Um, How does laughter and cancer go together, right? Yeah, that you know, it's kind of like um, it does not quite go or seem to go together like peanut butter and jelly, but right. it does go together. You know, I remember um, the visual image of myself with some big old huge sunglasses on, and we were riding a roller coaster. But that's another story for another day, right? Yeah, but it made you feel good after you left that class, right? It did. My cheeks hurt. No, cheek hurt your belly hurt yeah yeah and you thought all I did was laugh right I know I know and it kind of puts you in a different frame of mind right yeah you know I think our cancer patients um could laugh a little more and maybe help them get through their journey I think so too you know and, and that's that kind of sets us up with our guest today um you know it's no secret uh we scour the interwebs and we search high and low for our guests and we stumbled across our guest today, uh, and she has an amazing story, and it's really cool how she uses laughter and humor, and I can't wait for our listeners today to, to get to meet and understand and learn from Kiara Riga. Kiara, tell us about yourself, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I'm Kiara. Um, I'm 28 years old. And at the age of 27, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So as some of you might know, that is not a curable diagnosis. It will eventually be terminal. Um, But I am lucky that I have a pretty treatable subtype, so I am able to go on with treatment, um, and that could go for anywhere from, you know, two more to 10 more years, depending. Um, So, yeah, that's a little bit about my story. Yes. So when you got that diagnosis, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, oh my gosh, you're only 27. How did you even, like, cope with that? It was tough at first. Um, I think I'm kind of a very, like, like my psych oncologist likes to say when she's talking to me, she feels like she's talking to a physician because I'm very like data driven and kind of matter of fact. And so I just kind of took like the same attitude I take towards work almost to my cancer diagnosis in terms of like self-advocacy and just understanding what would happen to me. But 
it's also like, it's not been easy and I probably haven't fully processed it because like, and you guys are on zoom with me. Like I still have my hair. I, um, am still able to like work out and live my life. It's different than it used to be, but more or less the same. And so I think it will come in waves, but for, for now, I'm just trying to focus on it from a very clinical sense and maximize whatever time it is that I have left. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you say, um, self-advocacy, Pam, how many times have we heard that throughout our podcast? If our listeners have listened to any of them, I think that's a, an, a daily occurrence on our um, podcast. Yes. And Kiara, you, you talked about how um, living life to the fullest. And those are a lot of things, of course, that at, at the Survivorship Center uh, here, we, we try to focus on. So, you know, for our listeners, whether you are newly diagnosed, um, in the thick of treatment, uh, whether you are um, continuing on with treatment for a lifelong treatment, or whether it is your 15 years post-treatment, we have resources for you, and we'll we'll touch on some of those as well. But um, let's talk about Kiara. How you know once you were diagnosed, and, and you talked about in self-processing and working through, and all those. Give us some ideas of some things that that you kind of found that helped. Um, so I got involved. There's a woman in Santa Cruz where I live, um, who runs a breast cancer magazine and it's been really healing to kind of get involved with her. I actually like right before we jumped on here, I was on a writing workshop with her. Um, that was really wonderful. And so I think kind of writing and reading others' stories has been really powerful for me. It's funny as a kid, like I always wanted to be an author. And as I grew up, that kind of went away. I ended up in marketing operations, but it's so funny to me how it's kind of a full circle moment of how much like writing and reading has really helped me through this diagnosis. Um, I will also say the two biggest game changers for me were one, getting involved with psych oncology. Um, I was hesitant at first, but she is huge, like an amazing like game changer in my treatment. And then the other thing is finding someone else who's going through something like me. So I think a lot of the metastatic breast cancer communities, I mean, it, it's a cancer that oh, it mostly affects older women, right? And so finding someone I could relate to was really hard, especially being single and childless. I think your priorities shift so much when you have kids. And so when I was speaking to others with NBC who had kids, I just really couldn't relate because the things we were worried about were so different. And so I worked with an organization called ABCD after breast cancer diagnosis. Um, and they matched me with a mentor, Lauren. Um, and she like we went from mentors to like such fast friends. Um, she, we text every single day for my cancerversary. She drove all the way from Missouri to California to come um, be at my party and hang out with me for a couple of days. Um, and just meeting her, we kind of think the same way, very matter of fact. And I just relate to her so much and finding that and seeing her like living well with this disease or as well as she can has been really, really huge for me. Man, this sounds like something that we offer here, huh, Ron? <laughs> it, uh, once again, you would think Kiara has like stalked us and searched us, you know, looked at through our everything we do. 
we actually, uh, for those of you listening that think, wow, I need one of those mentors. I need someone like Kiara has. Um, so we work with an organization called Fourth Angel. And we would, I would encourage all of our listeners to go back and listen to a podcast that we did with Fourth Angel. Um, and really, it's the same thing. They match you up with someone that's nationwide. Uh, that way, you you probably don't have the opportunity of running into them into the grocery store and telling, oh, my gosh, I've, I've told that person my entire life story, and they know all the deep, dark circuits, uh, secrets. You're not going to run into them unless they, they you work it out to where she comes and visits you, right, Kiara? That is so cool. Um, but, yeah, it's matched up with someone as closely demographically, uh, age-wise, cancer uh, stage type, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's entirely free. And they reach out via email, text, phone calls to kind of leave it up to you. Um, So yeah, if you're needing a mentor or you want to be a mentor, be sure you can sign up uh, straight off of our website, the number 24survivorship.org with the fourth angel. Uh, But that's awesome that you had a mentor. And that's so cool that she came out and, and visited you on your cancerversary. It was amazing. And I would also, going back to your point, even if you don't think you need a mentor, I would say just go for it. Like the worst thing that can happen is you don't click and you wasted like what, a few minutes? Yes. Yeah. I think it's so worth, like, I didn't think I needed like a mentor, but someone at Stanford was like, you know, this is a really great program. Like people really get a lot out of it. Do you want to try it? I was like, why not? Like what's there to lose? And it ended up being one of the biggest treatment game changers. So don't, I would say don't wait until you think you need support. You know, it's funny talking about humor, but it's funny that you the, the two things that you talked about um, therapy, you know, talking with a counselor uh, and mentor. I think those are old school methods, but they're so valuable and they get a bad rap sometimes, but I think they're incredibly valuable. Um, we also have counseling services here at the Survivorship Center uh, that's entirely free of charge as well. And I mean, it, those are some services that when we have people that go through them, as you just said, once they get get signed up and 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 become a part of, they're like, I can't believe I waited this long. It's yeah. so fantastic. So you're going through a pretty dark time. How do you find humor or able to laugh at this time in um, your life? It's so funny. I've never thought of myself as a particularly like funny person, but as soon as I got cancer, it feels like it was a package deal with this weird, dark sense of humor. I think that was first unlocked someone. I forget how I stumbled across the cancer patient on Instagram at the cancer patient. It's probably my favorite Instagram account ever because it's so spot on, it's science-based, but it's also so funny about what we're going through. And I think that kind of like, we're constantly in this really dark world. And I think people who don't or have never had cancer can't truly understand like just how dark all of this stuff is. Even if you're not like me with the terminal diagnosis, like cancer can kill even if it's not you know, I'm not trying to scare anyone here, but we all kind of know the realities of that. And I think just being able to joke about it for me, like makes me feel so much lighter. And, and like, it just really like, it makes it less scary. Right. And, and kind of normalizes it at the same time. Yes. Pam turned me on to 
the uh, cancer patient on Instagram. Uh, I'll never forget. She said, Hey, do you, uh, do you follow the, the cancer patient on Instagram? And I was like, I don't know who that is. I don't know. And so you need to look it up right now, find it, find their page, follow them. And then I want you to just scroll through there and let me know what you think. And I did. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel bad for laughing, but, <laughs> but you're right. It is perfectly laid out. And of course, I'm not a cancer survivor, but having been in the cancer world long enough, I can understand what they're, what they're relating to, but oh my gosh, is it, it is, it is, you're, you're exactly right. It is exactly what survivors from diagnosis on are going through. And it, and they put it in such a humorous way. We actually tried to get the cancer patient on the podcast and they declined. So if they're listening, we'd love to have you back <laughs> to be a part, but you're right. You're right. You said laughing helps normalize it, makes it a little less dark. But do do you find that it's like that inside joke that you're one of the only ones that gets? I think so. I have um like I'll mention or send the memes to like non-cancer friends, and it's always like, oh, I feel really bad for laughing at this. Like same thing you said. You know, it's like, oh, we shouldn't joke about this, right? And so. I'll share some of the more tame ones to my stories. Um, but for the most part, I'm just sending them back and forth with Lauren because <laughs> I think it is kind of like an cancer inside joke. Like I remember the first time I saw one that I so desperately wanted to share, but I knew it wouldn't go over well was it was like at the beginning of the summer, right when the Delta variant was starting to surge. And it was like when you won't let cancer and COVID get in the way of hot girl summer. And it was a photo of someone getting into like a coffin shaped floating. And I thought that was so funny. And I went to share it on my story. And I was like, nobody who's not had cancer is going to get this or find it funny. I'm just going to make a bunch of people uncomfortable. So it's definitely kind of like an inside joke. Yeah. Uh, yes. And that you're right. And I, I mean, there's so many of those, uh, you know, that if you've never been there, you're not going to get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so I have to ask, did you have a cake for your cancer anniversary? I made two. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I had one that was chocolate and I made a cake topper that can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Okay. I, it, the cake topper said, fuck cancer. And then the other one was probably my favorite. It was a lemon tart. And I made a cake topper that said shitty titty committee. Um, <laughs> so really just trying to like joke about it through the whole thing. Well, and for those, uh, for those listening, um, that is a big thing on the cancer patient Instagram is your, it's your, it's your anniversary. You're having cake right? The spirit cake. Yeah, it is. It is a big thing. And you should, right? You should oh, eat yeah. a cake. Or if you don't like cake, have a pie or ice yes. cream or whatever, but treat yourself. That's right. And, and of course, our, uh, many of our folks may be saying, but the, you, but you have a dietitian on your podcast every now and then. And she talks about reducing sugar and watching the things that you eat. And, but then she also says what, Pam? You can do 80 per, or 80, 20. Uh, you can have it every now and then, but don't eat it every day. So and everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. So whenever you are 
laughing, what do you think the benefits of laughter are for you? I mean, like just on my mood altogether, like I can be in the worst mood and I see a funny cancer joke, it's turned around. Like it just really, really helps me feel like more okay, more normalized and, and I guess less alone. Like if everyone else can joke about the same things that I find funny, then, you know, I, it, it helps me feel less alone. I mean, I think just laughter in itself is, is huge in, in lightning mood. And I mean, I, even when I was researching the blog about humor that, that you guys had read, um, there were some studies that it can even help with like immune system. And there are, there are studies about how people who are, you know, joking and laughing more can like, it helps actually with like blood counts and treatment stuff. And I would like to see more deeper studies before, you know, it's not treatment and I'm not trying to advocate for that, but it really can help you be in a better mindset, I think. And I think that better mindset helps so much when you're going through all of this. And I don't think there's any unpleasant side effects from laughter. Right. Except for maybe like your cheeks and your stomach hurting, which like I'll deal with that. Yes. You know, you're right. It's an, it's an, in the medical world, right. They call it an adjunct therapy. So it's, it's an add on and uh, you're right. You know, I think in, in, in our uh, laughter class that we did, Pam, they talked about how, you know, uh, it releases some endorphins and it helps with pain control and lowers your blood pressure. And of course, makes you less anxious. And uh, I find myself sometimes being very anxious about things, especially when it becomes close to our event season and having 24 hours in the canyon and good nights grind and becoming very anxious and maybe short tempered a little bit and finding something funny that just makes you laugh. All of a sudden it's kind of like hitting that reset button, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm in a better, I'm in a better spot. Kiara, have you found that when you um, are in these moments and and you do bring the, your non-cancer friends, as you say, into the circle and talk about these things, do you find that eventually they become a non-cancer cancer friend? I think so. I would never, I think all of my friends, I try and know their limits of what I can joke around about. There are a few people that I would never send the coffin meme to because I just don't think that they could handle it. But I think I do know which friends who can. And I think it really helps me kind of helps them understand what's going through my head a little bit more. Um, So I I do think it kind of helps bridge that gap of understanding when it, it, you know, a hot girl summer meme is something that everyone's seeing all over their Instagram. So if you can kind of then apply that to cancer stuff, I think it starts to, to normalize it too. I mean, like right now the trend, well, this comes out in a while, but when we're recording, the trend is like the red flags, you know, and I've started posting the funnier ones to my story because maybe that will help non-cancer people like kind of understand those in a funny way. So, um, yeah, I do think it kind of helps bridge that gap because when I'm talking about like treatment stuff, like I said, I take a very clinical approach. And so if I'm talking about neutrophils and hemoglobin, my friend's eyes glaze over and it just goes <laughs> straight over their heads. Like that's not something that's in normal language, but a red flag meme or a hot girl summer meme that they get. That's right. 
Well, and so what you're doing, I guess, is educating them about your situation and what consumes you mm-hmm. um, in a roundabout way, rather than like you just said, neutrophils and hemoglobin and and you know neutropenia and all those things. It's it's more relatable, and so maybe you're you know you're you're bridging that gap, as you said. That's fantastic. I'm trying to, yeah, <laughs> trying to. <laughs> Has there been anything else um, through your journey that has helped you? Mm, I think we touched on the really big ones. Um, I think, you know, humor, psycho-oncology, writing, finding people I relate to has been the most important. I think the other thing for me um, was, I think cancer diagnoses come with a lot of shame um, and they absolutely shouldn't. And I think I definitely felt that at the beginning. And, you know, once I kind of came out of that, I really wanted to start using my story and advocating more. Um, And so I created a cancer Instagram where I kind of share what's going on. And that's where I share like cancer patient memes and things like that. Um, And I think being more open about my diagnosis has been huge because it kind of got rid of the shame. It stopped cancer from being a dirty secret. And it started being something that I have this space where I can talk about it. It's a separate account. So if I'm overwhelmed, I don't have to look at it. Um, I can find other people that I relate to and who relate to me. Um, so that also for me has been really big, um, in kind of processing this and really learning this new world that I've been uh, kind of unwillingly thrust into. Yeah. I know you mentioned, you know, we think of cancer being an older diagnosis, but as a young adult, did you find getting involved in groups for young adults specifically helping? Absolutely. And I think it takes a while too to find the right group. Like for example, I mean, breast cancer, while it is a more older women's disease, it is also the most common disease in people my age, cancer diagnosis in people my age. And so it's kind of this weird dichotomy of trying to figure that out. But then when you add the metastatic elements on top of it, it's even tougher. So for instance, like the local support group, they consider the AYA group to be anyone who was their first cancer diagnosis was before age 45, or maybe it's 50. And with metastatic disease, oftentimes you start with an early stage diagnosis for breast cancer specifically, I won't speak for all, you start with an early stage diagnosis and then later on it might come back. That's much more common than like me being diagnosed stage four from the jump. And so I found a lot of people in their metastatic group were so much older than me. And it was so hard to relate to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were worried about meeting their grandkids while I'm single and childless, you know? And so it's just such different, a different thing. And I even found like, you know, I relate so much more to young adults who have a different kind of cancer than me, who are AYAs with cancer than I do to older women who also have metastatic breast cancer. Like, I think the most relatable Instagram that I follow and I chat back and forth with her occasionally is uh, Chelsea Gomez. She's at, oh, you're so tough on Instagram. And like her account is funny and relatable and just amazing in all the best ways. And I think, you know, being able to relate to people that way has been huge. 
Totally see that. Totally see that. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons, um, you know, we have a support group and we're branching into the young adult support group. Um, it's just, it's, it's a total different, it's more life relation than it is disease relation. I think, um, I hope that's what I'm, I'm getting from you. And I, I, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. No, that's absolutely the experience I've had is just understand, like, they're the only people who can understand at your age going through something life-threatening and, and the same kind of life-threatening. What do you, what else do you find that, um, is, with your friends, were you going through your cancer diagnosis at, at such a young age? Um, did, did you lose friends? Did you lose over, over your cancer diagnosis because it was just too hard to, to be uh, friends with someone going through that? Just one. Um, but yes, it has changed just about every relationship, but some for the better. I, I mean, I'm not going to thank cancer for anything, but um, I do think that I've gotten closer with some people, but there was one person who I was supposed to see her like the day after I was diagnosed and I sent her a text letting her know what was going on, but said, you know, I'm still up for going for a walk if you want to. And, um, she said, okay, yeah. And then the next day she canceled an hour before and I never heard from her again. So, yeah. I think it's hard, um, in both situations, you know, how do you be that friend and support someone going through it? And then how do you be the friend that is going through it yourself? Right. And I try to be understanding that like not everyone's going to get it right. I think in the beginning, all of my close friends will tell you I was like horrible to deal with because like they were constantly saying the right thing because there was no wrong. No, they were constantly saying the wrong thing because there was no right thing to say. And then I would like fly off the handle at them about it. And so I think that was like miserable to deal with. I think we've gotten to a good place. Um, I don't know if you guys have any resources for supporters, but if not, I highly recommend Be Present. Um, They're an organization that I volunteer with creating content um, to help supporters of AYA cancer patients. Um, So highly recommend checking them out. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, becoming a supporter, there's a huge learning curve. You're not going to know the right thing to say at first. You got to be okay with saying the wrong thing and being corrected. And then as a cancer patient, you also have to learn that, like how to communicate with your friends in a different way because you've changed and they haven't changed the way that you have. Right. That's such great information. It goes right along with something that I wrote down. Um, and I, I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember if it was in the blog that you wrote or if it was on the podcast that you did for Be Present. But um, you said friends are still the friends you knew before cancer. Just like you said, they didn't change. You, you've you gone through this and changed. And they want to laugh with you the way they did before cancer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that, I think that's probably a, a an incredible picture to to visualize right there. Yeah, and I mean, I think the humor thing is hard because I've had some friends try and joke about cancer and totally miss the mark because I think what's like funny to me might not be funny to them and vice versa and but just being able like like if I send you a meme and it makes you really uncomfortable, just send a laugh emoji back and then be uncomfortable in your own space. But it just really helps me to kind of 
you know, these are the things I find funny. I would always send you a funny meme that like I related to. And so I I think that's just kind of that relationship we want to have again. And this is a new aspect of our lives. It's all about the communication. Exactly. Yes, it is. Gosh, you know, that as we were saying about how uh, self-advocacy weaves its way through our podcast, so does that, that silly word communication. Um, I think there's maybe in all of our podcasts, there might be one that that has not come up in and we've done a lot of them. It's so huge. It's really so huge. I mean, for any interpersonal relationships, but especially after cancer, when people can't, especially like my disease is invisible right now, right? I'm not bald. And so people can't look at me and see that, oh, I look nauseous. I look, well, you can see I look tired, but you know what I mean? Like they're not seeing what you're going through. And so it becomes even more important to be able to communicate that effectively. True. We, it reminds me, um, we did a, I did a uh, video shoot one day years ago with an honorary chairperson that we had for our event. And um, one of his uh, family members described him as the healthiest looking sick person you'll, you'll see. And I relate so hard to that. <laughs> right. You do. I can tell because as you said, you, you know, we see you on zoom, you know, and, and you do, you, you are the healthiest looking sick person. Uh, and that's a good, maybe, you know, but, but that's hard for friends and hard for uh, supporters and so forth to, to grasp. Right. It's a really hard one in general. Like up until a couple of weeks ago, I've been still working out like five to six times a week. And I love like high intensity interval kind of training. And, you know, I like people see that, but then I'm too tired to go get up and go downstairs to grab something. And then they're like, oh, well, you're like, you're not actually that tired. And it's like, no, I've kind of almost like spoon theory in a way, like I've saved my energy for this workout because it's really important to me for so many different reasons. But then that means like the rest of my day, I'm lying in my bed, you know? Yes. Now I have to pause for a second. This brings up the spoon theory. If you're going, what is the spoon theory? Our listeners, no, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. Kiara. What is the spoon theory? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to go back and listen to uh, our episode with Mary Margaret Gertie on self-care. And uh, that was the first time Pam and myself in all of our years of being involved in oncology and survivorship had heard of the spoon theory. And so do yourself a favor, go back and listen to that and then come back and listen to Kiara, her episode again, and you'll get what she just said about the spoon theory. We always, we always love to drop some homework on our listeners, Kiara. I love it. I love it. And yes, we would not be able to give like a one sentence explanation that really does it justice. So I think definitely listen to that episode. (laughs) Yes. Yes. She explained it so well because Pam and I were like, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the spoon theory? And I uh, I think it exists more in like chronic illness space than cancer space. But I, I think there's a lot of crossover between the two. She's a leukemia survivor. And so being okay. a chronic illness there for sure. And uh, yeah, she enlightened us. So go back and listen to that. But um, you're right. You have to plan your day in and around the things that you need to get done. And as you yeah. mentioned earlier, you're still working. Yes. 
I work 40 hours a week in marketing operations. I volunteer for Be Present. I try and work out six times a week. I try and maintain a social life. So I'm tired all of the time. <laughs> I bet you are. Well, that's an amazing story that you have, and I'm glad that you shared it with our listeners. If um, nothing else, I hope our listeners laugh today. And if they can't laugh, they can come join us um, with Qigong because I know they do some laughing in there. Every time I hear them in my office, I just have to laugh too. So that brings us to our last segment and um, our Pete's Powerful Moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. And Kiari, do you have a Pete's Powerful Moment uh, to share with our listeners? Yes. So um, I'm going to share the first time I told a cancer joke. Um, I was on Zoom with some kind of uh, work colleagues and we were talking about the COVID vaccine before it came out. And I was saying, oh, I'm so excited, like, because I'm immune compromised, I should be able to get it early and like get back to my life quicker. And, um, everyone was like, but like, are you scared to be like one of the first ones to get it? And I just dryly went, what's it going to do? Give me cancer. And everyone like, I thought it was so funny. And everyone on the zoom just kind of looked at me like, oh my God, what did she just say? I don't know how to respond to this. And it was the first time I realized that my dark sense of humor may not translate into all aspects of my life. (laughs) That's like but it gave you a good laugh though. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, that's one of those ones you go, did I just say that out loud or did I say that? <laughs> I said the quiet part out loud. Yes. <laughs> oh, I tell you, Kiara, thank you for joining us today and, and being real and raw and uh just just authentic with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Well, I tell you, that's what we love to have on these podcasts, right, Pam, are just great conversations um, and and with uh, little nuggets here and there of ways to, you know, live life to the fullest. That's right. But sometimes, Ryan, you and I um, run out of ideas to talk about. So we would love to hear from our listeners and some ideas that you would like for us to cover on the podcast. And you can uh, email us or call us and whatever's easiest for you. That's right. Yeah. There's even a place on our website uh, to submit a, a, a topic or submit a guest. We certainly would love for you to do that. And I tell you, um, it, it it never ceases to amaze me how all of our podcasts, the topics, although they could be totally different, tend to really follow the same script. Right, Pam? Yes. Yes. It's, same it's, theme. It's amazing. It's amazing. There's lots of great information. So I encourage you guys to go back and listen to those episodes, share the episodes with your friends and re-listen to those. And then make sure that you join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.